Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylics and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints in New Berlin, New York. An employee-owned company, Golden is dedicated to making the best paints that artists can use in their studios. I've been painting with Golden for over 23 years and I swear by it. Check out their paints at your local art store or at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They make amazing coffee and ship their beans to your doorstep so you can have incredible coffee at home. I'm an avid coffee drinker and I love the coffee that I get from Fulcrum through their subscription service. There's always new coffee to try and it's always top quality. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and add the code ALFREDSTUDIO to your order and you'll get 20% off. That's a pretty great deal. Fulcrumcoffee.com Ludovic Nkoth is a painter based in New York. Born in Cameroon in 1994, he moved with his family to Spartanburg, North Carolina when he was 13 years old. After completing his undergraduate studies at UNC, he moved to New York to attend Hunter College's MFA program, which he finished in 2021. Last year, he was awarded a prestigious residency through the Academy of Beaux-Arts in Paris, where he is currently living. Among the key comparisons for his work are Carrie James Marshall, who similarly taps into art history to enliven present-day subjects, Noah Davis, whose work is also sophisticated and subtle, and Alex Katz, who maintained a long career and a unique sense of artistic vision amid rapidly changing fashions. We spoke about music in the studio, living across three continents, painting his life, his love of soccer, and much more. Here's our conversation. But yeah, so so how long are you in Paris? I'm here for um, the residency is for ten months, but you have a chance to um, extend for two extra months, which I'm sure I'll end up doing. Contract so extension. <laughs> you already know. Yeah. So. <laughs> In totality, it'll be uh, a year here. That's nice. That's yeah. substantial. Uh, it's 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 insane. You know, before I even agreed to do the residency, um, I had just moved to Brooklyn to a new place, and I was only in that place for, I think, three months. And then yeah. I got a call from the residency, and I was just like, "Wow, this is really happening!" And I packed my stuff up and my material, and the next month I was in Paris. Oh man! So, what did did you sublet the place or? Uh, I have it? friends. I have friends uh, living there right now. It was brand new, so I didn't feel comfortable uh, letting just random people uh, live in a place where I haven't lived yet. So yeah, yeah, that's a weird. Yeah, right. You don't want someone else to break it in. <laughs> Imagine you come back. Here's and my then new car. House. Just go driving around for a few days, <laughs> a few months, and then I'll hop in it when you get back. Yeah. That is. But when so, uh, yeah, I, I would imagine that it's completely changed. Because how long have you been in New York now? Like you went to school. Um, yeah, here. so I arrived in New York um, 
permanently around August 1st, 2018. So okay. I've been there since then. So this is, I imagine the situation you're in now is completely, you know, changing your your scenery when you're working is has such a, usually has a huge effect on your work. Unless some people just are locked in, airtight. The work is the work no matter where they go. But most of the time. No, no, no. For me, it, for me, it always uh, changes uh, the way I work, the way I see things. And I actually use that to my advantage in my practice. Whereas I'll make up my own uh, residencies or I'll go live somewhere for two to three months just to see what that space, that light, the people there uh would do to the work and i always come back holding the paintbrush a bit differently and applying things a bit different and i like that because um it keeps me fresh to myself yeah. in a way you know i i don't yeah, know what definitely. to expect and i love it when uh my work is not um by chance but it's uh made by raw thought meaning right. you know i there's a thought there's um planning behind it but the process is instinctive. Yeah. You're like reacting. Exactly. A degree. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you're, I mean, you've, you have moved around. It's not like you've, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not just like, you know, a couple of miles down the road. So you, but, but until you, so you came to the States when you were 13, right? Is that right? Yes. Yes. So did you move around before that in Cameroon? Uh, one place. Um, in Cameroon, I kind of moved around a bit. Um, yeah. So I was born in one um, space. I stayed in the main city, in the capital city, uh, my whole time there in Cameroon. But while there, we moved uh, from different towns, uh, I think two different towns. But also, while I was living there, uh, because I grew up with my mom's side of the family, they lived in one space. And then for the summers, I'll go spend some time with uh, my father's side of the family, which lived who uh, lived in another side of uh, the city. That was also a constant um, thing that was happening in my life. And then the big move was uh, coming to uh, the states. Well, so okay, so growing up, I mean, what's what's life like in Cameroon? I mean, my <laughs> my only knowledge of Cameroon is based on soccer players and a, a little bit of music although i honestly like nigerian music was huge for me like i went through a phase uh -huh. of like high life and learning about that and i listened to you know music is a big you know, obviously like i'm really into music and mm -hmm. um, i got into like some you know sort of like roots music of like zimbabwe and different kind of like you know an investigation of music so i think that has peppered my knowledge of geography a little bit but mm -hmm. i have to say with cameroon it's probably more soccer related than anything <laughs> yeah and i would love to get into that too because um i'm big on that as well but yeah. um what was life like in cameroon man um so first in cameroon as a child you know you mature uh, so quickly because um your responsibilities are just immense uh even at a young age you know um and where i grew up we didn't have much so i got to see uh, the rawest parts of life but also the rawest parts of uh the country at a very early age and stage in my life um and i think that influenced me so much in the way i even view my adult life and the way i'm around with people and all that uh so life in cameroon was um 
it was for the most part it was fun as a child you know because you get to uh, be really 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 in touch with nature and outside and um i grew up right in front of a big golf course which is actually the only golf course that we have um in mm -hmm. yaoundé uh and the yeah. biggest in the country if uh, if i'm correct and I remember uh, most days we'll just run to the golf course to first look for golf balls, but also yeah. to look for uh, mangoes uh, the whole morning. So we'll leave when we didn't have school, we'll leave uh, the house at like maybe 6 a.m., 7 a.m. because you want to get there when it's still morning because every other kid is trying to do the same thing, you know. Right, right. So right, everyone pull warm. up. <laughs> exactly. Everyone comes up with buckets and, you know, the earliest kid there picks up the most mangoes or plays um before all the golf players actually come around and play because you can't really be on the golf course while they're playing because that's a bit dangerous and um play early right because they want to beat exactly. the afternoon sun so you exactly really that's exactly you get it you get it and cameroon gets hot yeah because we only have two seasons it's either raining or it's dry um and it's summer all year right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly that <laughs> Uh, so for the most part, I had um, a very, um, a very, what's the word I'm looking for? A very involved uh, childhood there with uh, the country, the space, and the people. Right. You're not sitting around in, indoors just hanging out. No, 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 no. So There's nothing to do indoors. Where does the, I mean, you possibly could have lived in the triumvirate of what I think is the holy grail of life, which is um, art, music, and soccer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Actually, so, actually, you just painted that for me. Probably. It? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the magic triangle. So did you, I mean, other people listening are like, what the, who cares about soccer? Or what, but you know, if it's important to you, you know, mm -hmm. Americans, I think maybe they're not quite as up to speed. Not there yet. The not there yet. No. I mean, there are a lot, a lot of people, but, um, not it's not the phenomenon that is everywhere right else, as a country no not, I don't think uh, they're there yet as a country yeah we, yeah and definitely not with coaches but we won't get into that <laughs> <laughs> so um, where did that stuff enter your life like which came first and um, um, where did the passion happen I would imagine like football is just something that's happening it's right like, so outside playing. football I would say was the first uh, thing that entered my life um because most Cameroonians are born with a soccer ball <laughs> holding already and kicking already you know because it's we play with literally everything i remember as a young kid when we didn't have balls to play with we'll just get an empty bottle and we'll just start kicking that around so it's yeah. it's very rare to find a kid that doesn't have any soccer skills in cameroon so that's developed very very early on and then probably maybe even simultaneously the music entered my life too because music in especially in Cameroon is, is huge in the culture because right. starting from uh traditional music and ceremonies because uh growing up in a Yaoundé there was a ceremony happening almost every day you know and um that also leads into more contemporary music and dancing and right. I love anyone that knows me knows I love to dance so that was also a part of my life and i would say the art was always there too because i 
I started drawing at a very, very early age. I was always just fascinated with um, the idea of being able to replicate exactly what was in front of me. And not a lot of kids around me could do that. So I I took advantage of that fully. And um, so I started really doing all three at a very early age. And it's strange because I didn't have anyone around, especially at that age, pushing me to further, you know, my knowledge in art or my skills in art. But I think there was just always a certain level of curiosity there that always kept me hungry with that. And it just never went away. Yeah. It sounds like there's different kind of like touchstones, which each each of them, it sounds like, you know, football is just something everyone does. Like it's just, you know, it's, it's almost like a given. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds like the music is something that is maybe tied in, from the beginnings to a day-to-day kind of cultural connection to it's part of day-to-day right. life in a different way than playing sports is because that's like an activity mm-hmm. more so music is something that's you know can be more ritualized into a culture and it sounds like art is something that was maybe a little bit outside of the norm but something that you maybe had a, a you know an affinity for and maybe some a talent with and that became a different kind of cachet of you know like oh this is something a little different outside the norm but something that i'm really into you know and when i even think about it now um it was outside of the norm as a practice but art and creativity was also very part of the culture because when i think about like the ceremony at the mask and the outfits that uh the people performing would wear all these were made by you know um draftsmen that had to sit down and actually think about a process in order to make these things so I think also subconsciously I was always uh, influenced by those things. And I also just, as a kid, again, due to my curiosity, I, I, I like, I love to dabble into a little bit of everything. I love to understand how things work. So I think seeing those ceremonies and those masks and just everything in front of me, I always wanted to understand why these things are what they were. So drawing them in a way allowed me to uh dissect these things to you know the smallest or the most basic uh its basic form yeah yeah Yeah. and i imagine there's a a nice parallel connection between history and contemporary like with with music you know it's funny because you know my knowledge of contemporary african music is usually filtered through pop connections because I'm not there, so I don't really know what's going on in the streets. But, but as far as my studying music and, and the history of it and research and stuff, you tend to go to the one core place, you know what I mean? Like, if you think about the United States, maybe that's like either old jazz or like blues. Like, you know, it's right. something that encapsulates the experience of the foundation right. of music in that country. And with like, if I think of Cameroon, I would probably assume like Jijimbe and like, you know, thumb pianos and those kind of instruments. But that's probably something that's so, you know, like old school, like, or just, you don't think about that as much. And then there's probably a a lot of vibrant pop music that I just don't know that much about. Mm -hmm. Did you you navigate between those things? Because that happens too with like what you're talking about, masks or like ceremonial things or creativity that's like historical or cultural that's connected to Mm -hmm the act of just growing up and then there's like a contemporary or then there's just like drawing which is just an activity that you know everyone who's an artist or not everyone but 
most everyone like draws as a kid you know it's just right. something you you explore and it doesn't have to be connected to anything necessarily you just people like to sketch people or draw what they see you know mm-hmm. um i was also going to say uh you were speaking about uh you know the difference between you know this traditional music and then the more pop or more contemporary side of uh the music in the country and while i was just there um I was because I still have a lot of family uh, in Cameroon. My whole mother's side of the family is still there, and a few from also uh, my father's side. But um, there's a new genre of music that has been developed by you know the younger population in Cameroon. Uh, it's called uh, Mboli. So the way this uh, originated is they pretty much took uh, traditional music that was played at like. Um, funerals or things like uh, of the sort with the traditional drums and all that and they added a twist to it to make it a bit more um vivid and a bit more uh attuned to dancing and right. this became and now is the hottest genre of music around cameroon everywhere you go people are dancing to this and i was just fascinated to the fact that wow how can you take something that represents such a, a sad moment for lack of terms and then yeah. flip that on its head and make it into what it's known to the younger population because at these funerals it's usually the old the elder um group singing these uh chants right. and then now you have the younger generation switching that and making it their own and now that's what's playing on most of the stations on the radio yeah, that's so. It's it's such an interesting phenomenon because I think I think that happens maybe not to the extent of like taking funeral music and flipping it or, you know, but a lot of times of just taking historical music or stuff that you grow up with or that's there mm-hmm. and then update. It. I mean, like all of hip hop is based off funk and R and B, like samples and then just you know rhyming over that basically. So it's kind of like taking ingredients of the past and then adding your, you know. You're up to it, but that, but yeah, but that's usually connected to your experience too. So like yeah. people in hip hop in the streets are like, you know, they're using their voice. They're not, they're not, they don't have a band or like, you know, they're not necessarily setting up and, and playing their instrument. It's more about vocal and just being able to like freestyle in the streets and stuff. So it's like, it's really an interesting thing that I think in artwork when it happens, it gets dissected a little more or it gets analyzed because you could trace back the visual elements you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, like, I don't know for you and your work if that's something that, you know, like how much of your experience you're tapping into on a literal level or how much of it is just reacting. Because you were saying that, you know, you tend to react to the environment as well. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, it, it's almost like a recipe for like cooking up, a, you know, something like you you add this, you add that in, in different elements. And that's really what makes it what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for my practice, I would say because I don't, I mean, before, uh, my master's, uh, program, I really didn't have a traditional training with, um, art making or art practice. So, and then I think that's also how my practice evolved into being a more, uh, more of a reaction to my environment or to how I'm feeling at the moment, because I, I was never, um, sat down and told, okay, this is how you mix color. This is how you uh, have to um, 
break down the anatomy in order to represent a certain blah, blah, blah. This is where this uh, movement fits within uh, the canon of art history or all that, you know, I, I have to somewhat figure that part out on my own with the help of, you know, a few people in my life. But I think with all that, I was able to um, just like hip hop mix a few things that I thought, you know, was a representation of myself, my people and my environment and also my current um, state in life. Right. And yeah. I'm able to remix that into something that I think uh, should be seen in the world. Yeah. It's funny because uh, collage is thought of as this. When when people say the word collage, you immediate or a lot of people's minds go to cut paper or layering right. or, you know, right. taking things together. But really, all work is kind of a collage of experience. It is. And, it is. You it know, is. And it when is. you see things like like hip hop is like that collage of you know those samples and then what that means and then what you're doing on top of it and it becomes this sort of like yeah this connection between time spaces and places. But mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine that you know, well, what was the decision to come to the U.S. and boy, that must have been a culture shock. <laughs> the biggest so far man it was intense um the decision i think my um my parents uh my father and my mother just understood what cameroon was at the time and they also understood what the future of a young cameroonian would be in a few years because of um the the status of the country as a whole you know and they because my father was already living in the united states um they wanted me to have a chance to have a better future or to build a future for myself so i think that was what drove uh that decision and yeah. were you yeah, up for I, it are we like um man i i was young 13's man. tough 13's yeah tough. I, you it's know puberty. I, you know you're puberty going through changes <laughs> you know i i think if you, there were a few variables first I was just excited that, um, so I grew up in Cameroon with my mother and her family and parts of uh, my father's family. But while growing up in Cameroon, my father wasn't always around. He was uh, more living in the States. So first, I was very excited that I'm getting to first meet my father other than talking to him on the phone, you know. And then yeah. secondly, I always just, because in, the, in Cameroon, the only time you're exposed to um the United States through music videos or, you know, random TV and everything was always so exciting and vivid. So I was just um, excited to be able to see another world and exit the current world that I was in because I knew the realities of that world way too much. So um, I don't think at that age I was able to fully process what that really meant, you know, to move your whole body, your whole life into a space where, you know, you don't really know the people, uh, you don't really speak the language, you don't know the culture, you know, it, I, I don't think I processed that. I think my whole mind state was just excitement and um, curiosity. That's probably for the best. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Want to be fully and you know, I game. mean, now with my therapist, <laughs> now this is what we talk about. Yeah. Uh, whenever um, we uh, we do talk, and I'm now realizing how really uh, big of a thing this was uh, for me. Yeah, 
I mean, and the thing is, is like, I would imagine in Cameroon, you're Cameroonian and, you know, the people, the people, and then you're going over to South Carolina, oh my which goodness. is pretty white. Well, I don't know what sex, you were, you were like. It was pretty white. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's culture. I was in too, Spartanburg right? and it was deeper even in South Carolina. Um, right. Small town where most people know each other. Um, and yeah, man, it was, it was just South Carolina. Is that where your dad was? Is that why you uh, went there? Yeah, yeah. So he's actually still currently there with uh, my family. How, how do you, how do you end up there? <laughs> you know, we vaguely spoke about these, uh, this uh, in the past, and I think for them, um, they chose South Carolina because it was slow and it had space um, to uh, raise kids, and yeah. slow in terms of um, they were able to slowly adjust to the lifestyle and the culture without feeling like they have to be in a place like New York where, you know, you always have to be out looking for something or working towards something. In South Carolina, they were able to um, build their own world, even though, you know, it was still South Carolina. Uh, and yeah, there... It's, like, it's, so, it's a different balance, right? If you're going for speed, because you can... That's true. Like, if you go somewhere outside the city the acclimation process it's not that pace you know what i mean it's not it's not but the thing is if you go to new york no one cares that you're cameroonian you know what exactly. i mean like no one i mean it, we're just all here but when you go somewhere like that in south carolina or oh, you just you stick know, out yeah and it's a it's a different kind of adjustment because the the community there's, I would imagine there's not that diversity. You know what I mean? No. I mean? That's not. I know there's a lot of cities and there's diversity, but you know, it's not like if you go to Atlanta. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's a right. different uh, acclimation. But then again, you're at the age to where you probably, maybe if you can't completely process that, you just assimilate into it. You know what I mean? That that was really what I did. Um, I I don't think I tried to understand what was happening. I, I was just more focused on fitting in because I, I, I went on survival mode in a sense and I wanted to be part of uh, the bigger picture. You know, even in school, I wanted to be part of, you know, conversations and everything that people my age or kids my age were uh, partaking in. So at that age, yeah, I, I was just doing my best to learn the language uh, as quick as I could and the accent and the way of moving around um, and trying not to uh, stand out too much. Right, yeah. <laughs> because I was very different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, like, yeah. So, but you did you grow up speaking French or? Yeah, so I grew up speaking French. In other languages, right? I mean, yes. Cameroon, isn't there like a, I, there's so many. So Cameroon, Cameroon has a total of uh, 200 and I think 75 uh, native languages, Damn. but also, Cam <laughs> crazy. I'm not kidding you, you will meet people that speak at least 10. Uh, like my mother confused? speaks. Like sometimes you're just like, you I just, just bump into someone and they're speaking a language and you're like, nope, I can't, man, not, not that I, one. Try the it, next it one. Is <laughs> it is crazy. It is insane. And every corner of the country you go to, you meet someone that speaks something different, you know. But right. also, the Cameroon is a bilingual country as well. So 80% right. of the country is uh, francophone and 20% uh, is anglophone. But I grew up on the francophone side. And after uh, 
a while I was put into a English school just to uh, start somewhat learning um, the basics of the language. And uh, that somewhat helped whenever I moved to South Carolina, but also it didn't help because everything about the language is different when I got here. Um, right. Yeah, I could not even have a two-minute conversation with anyone because when they'll say something, I would just look at them like, what is happening? Right, yeah, that's tough, right? I mean, in that age, it's funny because if you're really young, if you're like six or seven, you can get it quicker probably, you know? And, mm -hmm. you know, the older you get, the harder it is to, right. to just, it's like when we're young, the brain is like a sponge. You could just eat it. just sucks energy. everything in, right. And as you get older, right. it's like, wait, what a minute, you know, like it's so, but where did people where you were in South Carolina have a Southern accent or were they pretty... Um, pretty they, straightforward. No, they had the deepest uh, southern accents. Uh, Shit, that's and weird. also, also, <laughs> but what I think what also helped me was that. Uh, so when I moved to South Carolina, uh, my father uh, uh, married um, a South African woman, and whenever I moved, they already had uh, three kids. So my three younger brothers, and they all only spoke English. So in the house, I was forced to only speak uh, English from the beginning. So I think that also just pushed me to learning quicker. I mean, at first it was very, very, very awkward. And, you know, just like, oh, wow, I can't speak with anyone. Uh, I, was, I was lucky to have also just my grandparents around and, you know, we're speaking French every now and then. And that kind of made me feel a bit more comfortable but with everyone yeah. else i directly had to just dive into english or struggling with english yeah well i guess i mean you through all of this you're just learning to adapt to things or feel comfortable not feeling comfortable yeah yeah <laughs> you man. know or or maybe it's not that easy but you know it's also too so the kids spoke english yes because your would it be your mother-in-law was South Africa? Uh, my my mother. I just, she's my mother. Oh, okay. Uh, so, but South Africa, so that's a different, her English sounded different, right? Yes, but also she had been living, uh, they've all been living in South Carolina for also just a good amount of time that they've somewhat assimilated to uh, the way of speaking. Um, not saying they had a southern accent, but their English were already uh, very elevated. Um, with, you know, their own accents. <laughs> I'm fascinated by language. So the idea of thinking of a South African person living in the South, and then, <laughs> like, you know, the, the how the accent could be. Like, oh, you, you know, I mean, it was so funny sometimes. You know, it was so funny because sometimes uh, my friend at school would hear my mother speak and they'll be like, wow, we can't understand anything she's speaking. She's speaking English. And I'm just like, wow, I thought this was the proper English this whole time. I thought this is how everyone spoke, you know? So right. I I was just confused all over again because I thought that's how I was supposed to sound. But then right. around my friends, they'll tell me uh, we can't understand her because of her accent. So now I'm like, okay, so which accent do I choose to uh, go with? Right, right. Isn't it funny? Like everyone who's from a place who has an accent thinks that's the right way. Yes. Like Americans yes. think, we think our English is normal and British people speak funny, but that's the way English kind of started. You know what I mean? It's always like, yeah. 
yours is the right way and then other people are like you sound different and then you're like really me you know oh. it's kind of funny <laughs> i remember the first time i had a show in london and uh the gallery picked me up there were a couple people from the gallery picked me up at the airport and we went to the hotel and i was like oh can i get my luggage out of the trunk and they started laughing and i was like what? <laughs> what's so funny and then i kind of remembered that they call it the boot you know instead of the trunk and then they were like trunk luggage you know it was just funny because you just think oh, oh i'm saying it the normal way but, right especially when it went, comes to a language that you already speak yes yeah it's not even like i'm you know speaking a different language but in, a, in essence you are we were in like that outdoor market in London, I forget what it's called, but I was, we were all drinking coffee and the waitress came and I said, can I get a warm up? And she looked at me like, I'm like, because you know, to warm up my coffee, they give me more uh-huh. coffee. And she looked at me like, she thought that I meant, can I have a hug or can I, she didn't, <laughs> it was just funny. We all cracked up, but you don't, you take for granted. Like you're saying, yeah. like, I thought my mom would like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. 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 But it teaches you, I think to understand that, we're all different. Like, you know, it, that kind of travel and experiences, those kind of experiences, I think, are what make people more educated, open, accepting. You know what I mean? Like you, I agree. I, agree I think so it's much. a real gift to be outside your element. And anyone you find who's been in their own element their whole life, those people sometimes can be the most dangerous thinkers or the ones who are the most biased, you know? I, I know it's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've all bumped into those people. Um, so, yeah, so was was art, was music, or was sports a way to acclimate quicker with, in, in school? In uh, South Carolina? It? Yeah. Um, the first thing was um, sports because um, I was in a lot of uh, ESOR classes at the beginning. And um, the only way for me to bond with these kids was while playing sports because I was pretty uh, good um, at football, uh, soccer yeah. already. So everyone loved to play with me on their team because I was fresh off the boat. And yeah. the art also came around the same time, whereas uh, a lot of the kids because uh, that were in my ESO classes were um, also just foreigners from uh, South America, uh, different parts of South America. And a lot of them also had a love for just drawing, which um, I, I think there's a deep correlation within, between that. And we all just happened to be in the same classes. You know, the kids I was playing outside with would be the kids that I was drawing with. And doing that almost every day somewhat helped me make uh, real friends, some people that I still talk to to this day, actually. Yeah. Did you learn any Espanol? Uh, I did for a bit. And then yeah. it went away, and then now I'm trying to get back on that. I know. I really want to learn Spanish. I took French That's, for seven yeah. years in school. How did that go? It, it was good. I, I loved it. I took it in high school for four years and then three years in college. And the reason I took it in high school is because the Spanish teacher, he was like awful. Like the guy, no one <laughs> liked him. You know what I mean? And the German teacher was way too like cold, and the French teacher she way was too German. Awful. Yeah, right to German, exactly. And the French teacher, she was amazing. She would bring in baguettes with like Nutella mm. and like be oh, very wow. nice. So we all took French and I never got to use it. You know what I mean? So I could still 
pick things up or you know it's still deep in there but i mm-hmm. kind of wish i took spanish because it would be so useful in new york city and just in general you know that's Playing exactly soccer, why i you know. i want to uh further my knowledge on that yeah uh, language is fascinating so um so you were playing soccer and the guys were like, oh, cool, upgrade to the team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we had that and in our that- <laughs> high school, my junior year, we got a, a, a foreign exchange student from Japan, Hiro, and he was really good at soccer. So we were all uh-huh. like, dude is in. We loved him. You know, we like, You're exactly. Help the team. <laughs> exactly. So that was a huge help. And then on top of that, I was also already very good at drawing. So everyone would just ask me, the cool thing that uh, we were doing at that age was uh, writing each other's names in like cool calligraphy or graffiti uh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So everyone would be like, oh, wow, he knows how to draw, blah, 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 blah. And you know, around that age as well, um, a lot of the class assignments revolve a bit about around art in a certain way. So I was yeah. always the one uh, everyone wanted to work with even though I didn't communicate very well at that time, but everyone just wanted to work with me because I had uh, skills, the skills that were needed. That's cool. So you, it was a pretty, you would say a a pretty good acclamation. Like you. Uh, Here and there, here and there. Uh, Here and there. It had moments. (laughs) It had moments, but uh, for the most part, it was, it was, it was good. Yeah. So when you graduate, was the idea, so the idea is just to stay in the U.S. Were you ever contemplating moving or, you know, because didn't you go to South Carolina, like University of South Carolina? Yeah, yeah, uh, upstate, uh, University of South Carolina, but the smaller campus in uh, Spartanburg. Um, Are you asking if I wanted to move after graduating from college or from high school? No, from high school. Like, what was the, was it the plan always to go straight to college or what were you um, thinking? Yeah, yeah. I, I always wanted to go to college, but uh, I wanted to go to a school in New York, uh, fresh out of high school. But Was that the know, art angle or was yeah, it the that New was, York angle? Um, or both? Both, both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I, I just, I was just fascinated by, and at this time, I don't think I had been to New York yet. But I was just fascinated by the idea of New York, and I, I've I've read uh, a lot about you know just the art history that exists uh, within that city, and I so much wanted to be part of that. So my angle was okay. Right after high school, why not go to an art school? And I tried, but then when I got hit with uh, that price tag, I had to rethink oh, a few things. Yeah, man. that's the undesirable part about New York. Oh my goodness! What about the weather? Were you thinking? Were you? I wasn't even like, concerned with that, man. I just were you, knew. Were you excited about the prospect of snow? Because I've had some friends who were like from um, Southern California when I went to school with them in Connecticut, and they were like, the snow was like they were into it. But I then think they started I, getting bummed out. <laughs> I think when I moved to the states, I was super fascinated uh, by the idea of snow. Yeah. Even though it doesn't snow much in South Carolina, I had a fair share of the snow. And even worse, driving on the snow. So I think after high school, I was already like, okay, I almost died a few times in this car in snow, so I'm good. (laughs) You did your training. I was already snowed out. (laughs) Yeah, New York snows hits different, though, sometimes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I've had my share. Yeah. So did you have a good experience at uh, South Carolina? Um, College was... College? Yeah, college was interesting um, because I kind of 
went a few different space, uh, spaces within the school, meaning um, my parents were in my ears about, uh, you know, being able to have a job after college. And, you know, that was just also real life. So they kind of talked me into uh, taking a few um, classes that would land me a job after college. So at first, when I went, when I started college, I started as a graphic designer uh, major. Yeah, the trusty the art <laughs> slash I could still get a job <laughs> major. That, it's I the, did that. The, the safe major, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. I did that for like uh, a year. And did you after like it? that, uh, I, I, I enjoyed part of it, but then after a while, it was just not as fulfilling as being in the yeah. studio and just reacting to thoughts and movement and moments, you know? Yeah. So after that, I just quickly got out of that. And then I went into um, art education uh, because even in high school, I was already um, teaching uh, a few art classes to a uh, lower grades uh so i always had a love for um education on the teaching uh level so i did that for a bit for like i'm thinking maybe another year and a half uh in college and so in order for you to get into the second level of education there are two levels where you start by you know just getting the prerequisites and the theory and blah, 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 blah. And then after that, you actually have to be on the field and actually practicing. But for you to actually begin to practice like that, you have to pass this test. I can't remember the exact name, but I think it was the praxis, if I'm Mm -hmm. uh, not mistaken. Excuse me. Uh, I took that test maybe three times. And each time I had to pay, I think, around maybe $300, money I didn't have. So, and I couldn't get the score I needed all three times and I just sat back and thought to myself okay maybe this is just bigger than me you know what if I'm not passing this test because I'm not supposed to be doing this so again I switched off out of that I got myself a studio uh, downtown South Carolina uh, Spartanburg sorry and I spoke with um, the dean of uh, the art department and I just expressed to her, okay, this is what I'm going through. This is what I want to do. And we uh, switched my major into uh, interdisciplinary studies, meaning I was able to just build my own major by grabbing whatever hours in whatever class and figuring that uh, out after um, I graduate. And it was around that time where I also just knew that I wanted to further my uh, education in arts. So I um, called Hunter and started questioning him like, hey guys, um, I'm living in South Carolina, Spartanburg, in this small school. We don't really have an art program. This is what I have and this is what I want to do. I want to be in your program uh, eventually. What do you require from you know a student to be here and then they told me certain hours in this blah 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 but they emphasized that the most important part was your uh, portfolio which for me that was something that i was always working on and so all after that i also called uh clemson college um mm-hmm. just as you know a backup and i asked the same thing and they pretty much gave me the same thing so i was able to uh finesse uh 
the studio that I had downtown Spartanburg as studio hours uh, for college credits with my dean. And um, after that, I applied to um, the Clemson and uh, Hunter, and I got invited to interview on both. And funny enough, I actually got a full ride scholarship to Clemson plus stipend and a guaranteed, uh, somewhat guaranteed job after my master's program. Uh, but I just thought to myself, what am I going to get from Clemson? <laughs> Doing an MFA in Clemson, you know? Because you're a little separate. Like, you probably felt like, well, Hunter's in the city. I'm going to meet. Right, you know? Yeah. And that's my a hard idea choice, for, though, right? It is. It is because I didn't have money. And my parents already were on, oh, yeah, on, in my head saying, Clemson is free. Clemson is free. <laughs> exactly. Clemson is, is free. As a parent, I get it. I, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah. So I just had to really, really sit with myself and think, okay, where do I want to be in the next five to 10 years? What am I going to get from Clemson? Is Clemson going to allow me to grow? Is being in this same uh, state going to allow me to be who I'm meant to be or who I want to be? And a lot of those questions kept coming back to no. And I also understood that um, grad school for me was um, a way to become part of a bigger conversation. You know, I I wasn't too, and I even hate to admit this, but I wasn't too concerned about what I was going to learn in grad school. To be honest, I just knew that is one, it was going to be in New York. Two, I was going to have a free studio, and for me, that was the biggest things. Uh, how so, did you know that stuff? I didn't know that stuff when I went to grad man, school. Man, I, I, was, I was researching everything. I was hungry. And I just wanted, I knew my studio was going to be in Tribeca. I knew, and I picked also Hunter because I knew it was going to be three years. And I told to myself that, wow, three years of a free studio? What are the possibilities? Man, you're savvy. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I tell, you know, it's funny when people, as a professor, people ask you about grad school and they're like, well, do I need it? You know, all that stuff. And I always tell them the best thing about grad school, one of the most valuable things is the community. It's like who you yeah. meet. And it's kind of like, you know, that time in the studio. Exactly. And I didn't learn that until after, like when I went to grad school, it was about the school and I thought, oh, the professors are going to bestow this wisdom upon me that mm -hmm. will make me better. And then it was really about like the time that I spent working. Yeah, yeah. How did you know that beforehand? Um, <laughs> That's a cheat code. I don't, <laughs> no, it is a cheat code. And I've told this to uh, as many people as I can because... I just understood that first, you're going to grad school and your professors are also practicing uh, artists, so they don't have as much time to just put energy into you. But also, if you have to know yourself, first of all, if you're the kind of artist that needs to be, you know, held hand uh, by, you know, a supervisor to be told what to do, then maybe you should focus on the school you go to. But for me, I knew that I was already very disciplined when it came to my studio practice. And I knew that if I'm disciplined in my studio already, do I need people or a school that is known for having a certain style of teaching? No, right. but what I needed was to be in a city where everything and anything about art is happening. And with that, as soon as I got to New York, I was at every show. I was at every... Um, talk that I can go to just because I knew who would be there. And I also knew that 
art is a lot about, you know, making, but also 50% about being outside and letting people know what you're actually making because it's hard for people just to come looking for you, no matter how good you are, you know, you have to be out there I don't know how you do that. Ahead. I mean, you're a guy from Cameroon who came and went to South Carolina in the middle of like, nowhere in South Carolina. And you have all this savvy, like knowledge of how to like make inroads in the art world and like meet people Man, and do that. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's, it I comes was so from, dumb. You know? I was just like, I don't. <laughs> although I will say when I went to school, there was no internet. So there was no research. Uh -huh. People just told right. you like, here's the four schools you should apply to. And then if mm -hmm. you do that, you have a good shot at it. So, and you kind of learn, you know, as you go, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, that's, it's really impressive that you were, you were kind of, you figured yeah, that stuff out beforehand. Yeah, man. And I also knew, uh, just to add on top of that, I also knew that Hunter was one of the cheapest, uh, program you could get in, uh, you could, uh, get into uh financial wise although yeah. it's one of the best painting programs in the city and right. i don't know why that's a kept secret but i also knew that even if i wasn't able to you know have a career right after school i'll be able to pay my student loans off fairly right. easily so a lot of this was the reason why i ended up also uh, at hunter yeah Rutgers wasn't free yet, right? When you were applying for school, because now it's like free. I think <laughs> I didn't even Rutgers. know that. Yeah, see, there's oh, something wow. like there's these. It's funny with schools how you know there's the lore or there's like what you hear. Mm -hmm. And back when I was like looking at grad schools, you had to go on that because there was no internet or there's no research really that I could do. You know what I mean? Other than ask professors. And I wasn't going to pick up the phone and call, you know, UCLA and say, hey, how do I, you know, you just apply to it, you know. But yeah. now it's like there's there's schools that have great professors in middle America who have three-year programs that are fully funded. So you can wow. go there and make money. You can, like, basically work while you're there. You don't pay right. any tuition. Um, right. It's pretty amazing. And there's good faculty. But I was, I think a lot of people think the school will make you. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it's you. It's yeah, the artist. It's, it's what you it's put what in. What you get out of it, right? It's what you put yeah. in and what you take yeah. out of the program. One thousand percent. Um, One thousand percent. There's not even much to add to that. It's just what you bring is what you get. Yeah, I figured that out in a kind of backwards way because, you know, I went to a grad school that that was pretty prestigious. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. the thing is, is like I realized. Well, wait a minute. There's like forty people who graduate a year and there's like over the past 10 years there's like maybe one or two in each class that go on to become like people that you're very aware of showing and stuff it's like mm -hmm. well what happens to all those other people it's not like it's an automatic if you go to certain places that you're just going no. to be successful or whatever so it's really about you know the hustle and how hard you're working and how dedicated you are to it you know yes, then sir. you kind of learn that in the art world too it's like you know Everyone, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to know people who've been in in it for a long, long time, and they always tell you, you know, you just have to keep keep at it. You know, yeah. you're gonna have ups and downs. You're gonna have people interested in your work for a little while, and then it's gonna be crickets for a little while, and yeah. you just have to keep going. It's you know? a career. It's a career. Yeah. You have to roll with the punches. It's a marathon, not a sprint, right? Yes, sir. And so many other cliches. <laughs> so many other things. <laughs> So what what was your work like at Hunter? Like, what are you making? Who are you looking at? What's the um, what, what's behind the work? 
Um, so when I first got into Hunter, uh, I was still just playing around with uh, color and I was making these paintings that were, um, at that time, I think I was, I was still making figurative, figurative works, but I mm. had a deep love for uh, Gerhard Richter and his uh, scraped uh, landscapes. And I was making these figure paintings and then going back into them and scraping them just to see what would happen and playing around with different type of uh, mediums as well. And I had uh, a professor come in my studio. I think this was my uh, second year or first year, can't remember, but his name was uh, Colin Washington. And man, he came into the studio and he just ripped me a new one. Like I'm telling you the yep. first session and he was just telling me, yeah, I don't see you in your work. I don't see your history. I don't see your past. I don't see your present. I don't, it's just not you, you know? And he just told me this in 30 different ways in for like uh, an hour. And I'm telling you, I was paralyzed whenever he left the studio because I was just sitting on my chair looking at the works all around the studio. And I was like, what is this? What just happened? I had never had anything like that happen to me at that time, you know? And that day I, I left the studio and I didn't return for like, I think a few days because I, I, I just had to process everything that was said. And whenever I got back in the studio, um, I started, you know, just going back into thinking of, okay, where has, you know, as a body, where has my body been throughout my whole life? What does that mean? Where has my, my parents uh, been? What does that mean for me? And where does that mean where I'm going? And um, how can I bring, you know, these small um, ideas, but also these very big cultural moments from my people into my work. And I was also looking at a lot of, you know, contemporary artists um, that were in my program, uh, professors in my program, but also a lot of artists that were showing around uh, New York. And I was also just thinking, okay, how do I blend all these thoughts into making something that could be uh, somewhat original or somewhat just me in a way. And I think this was when uh, my work really started changing, when I started focusing uh, a bit on just me and everything that comes behind that. Now I have a question for you. This is a tough question. So <laughs> when that person came into your studio and said that, like, do you feel like that was said under the guise of like, well, the work, because you said that what you were doing is kind of abstract, right? You're abstracting mm -hmm. like landscapes. A bit, a bit, yes. So do you think that comment was more in the sense that like, I don't see your voice in this level of abstraction or the work doesn't feel like you're really into that abstraction? Or do you feel like it's like, oh, well, you're, you know, you didn't grow up in America. You're not like a white middle-aged male mm. And like, why aren't you talking about your culture and your work? Because I feel like mm. a lot of times that's the default go-to of like, well, you're this person from here or you're, you have a different experience. So you kind of have to make your art about that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I and I'm not saying this person is saying that, but I think right. sometimes people, no, no, I've like heard, if I've they see, you know, a Chinese too. artist, they're like, well, why aren't you painting you know, right. like Asian imagery or something that relates right, right, to right. your culture. Why are you making I abstraction? Think, I think where Colin was coming from was he saw how I was borrowing and sampling from, you know, different wells that went 
particularly mine. Mine in the sense of just me in my studio being present there and making things that are just generated by my own thoughts. I was borrowing from, you know, artists that I thought were good artists. And I was trying to fold that into what I thought was good art without having, you know, a background or anything in art history. So after I was able to let go of all of that and start sampling my own thoughts into my work, I think that's when uh, my voice started developing. Um, and of course, I can't ignore the fact that I'm Cameroonian and from Cameroon and my whole life until now has been influenced from that. So I think that just naturally also became part of uh, the works because while looking within myself, I had to look within Cameroon as well and my history. Yeah, I always wonder about that because, and that's a great answer and it, it feels like right, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I always wonder if someone, like let's say, if a Cameroonian young man comes to the United States right. and gets infatuated with classical music mm -hmm. or, you know, and starts studying piano and starts going through Bach and Beethoven and starts composing in a classical vein, even though that music is thought of as a canon of sort of like intellectual music right. from a certain, you know, Eurocentric like lineage of a canon of music, wouldn't that wouldn't the Cameroonian in that musician still be in that music, even though yes. they're mining territory that's like the quote unquote canon, you know, right. like, can you really take that out of someone or do you have to, you know, start playing polyrhythmic things that come from your past into that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although that sound actually sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> Cause what I was but you know what I'm say saying? Like, it's interesting. I, I, I like perfectly how that... understand what you're saying. Um, just like, I think it's also, the reason why when I'm making work, I sample a bit of everything. So I don't just rely on my Cameroonian culture whenever I'm yeah. painting, you know, I right. also just paint of my experience in South Carolina because also that made me who I am right now. Definitely, but yeah. I think coming back to the music and if, you know, this is Cameroonian playing this classical music, I think while playing that music, it's probably going to sound like every other classical music that, you know, we're accustomed to. But right. whenever this Cameroonian musician is able to maybe look into also the history of music in his country and then mix that with the history of classical music, then this musician might be able to develop something that's more him and his style rather than just playing classical music or just playing cultural Cameroonian music in a way. I, I think that's genius. And I think you just, <laughs> the reason I kind of asked that question too is because I feel like there's a lot, there's probably a lot of younger artists who feel some sort of like pressure or, or you yes, know, yes, like a yes. discomfort in navigating these territories. And I think it's mm -hmm. so, like your experience is, is so interesting in the way that yeah. you you found your way in that is is so kind of like intuitive and authentic and from these shared experiences that you've had without feeling pressured to yeah, make I think, art that looks a certain way. Right. You know I think I, mean? I think you should never, as an artist, uh, you should never feel pressure to make art because, or art that looks like where you're from because you're just from there. You know, right. you're not just where you're from. You're more than that, you know. 
So you should make art that represents you to its fullest form rather than where you're from. Right. It's my thought behind that. Yeah, I guess part of that too is being like, listen, like, I think you were maybe tapping into the sentiment of like listening to yourself in the sense of like where you're from and your experience, not kind of like illustrating yourself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. so I'll give you an example. I'm from Pittsburgh, you know, I think I've never thought about it much when I was like becoming like studying painting and doing that. But if I look at my work, I think there is something kind of Pittsburghian about it. But it's not like Warhol, who is from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. to where it's like super poppy or, you know, right. I didn't glom on to someone from Pittsburgh like Pearlstein or, you know, or Warhol and say like, oh, that's what I should make, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Exactly. But exactly. I do think my growing up and like the environment and the palette and stuff like that affects the way I work, but I'm not hyper conscious of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think because as artists, uh, we have, you know, this creative well that we plunge into whenever we're creating. I think if, you know, you're able to just relax your mental and be instinctive while you're creating, all your influences past to present will find a way to come or show themselves within the work that you're making, whether you like it or not. Because again, your experiences is your creative well, you know. Right. I always, always things that you've gone through or processed or even that you haven't processed are the things that you're going to be painting or making during uh, your time in your studio. So I don't think um, artists should, you know, sit down and think, oh, I'm from blah, 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 blah. Maybe I should make work that looks like blah, blah. No, just make your work and let that space, however it wants to influence your work, influence your work because it always will. Organically, right. Exactly. Like it just kind of comes out, you know. But yes. it's hard, like, you know, like, no matter where you're from, what you're, it's, it's difficult because there are kind of like boxes that people want to put, oh, like that with yeah. music too, you know what I mean? And, and I it's think, like, it, it's just natural. I think people are like, oh, you're, you know, you're from. I think, I think grad school also even do a bit of that. Um, yeah, totally. They try to, you know, oh, you're from blah, blah, blah. Why aren't you making work about blah, 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 blah. So yeah, I think, I think grad school also does that. And I think that's the fight that you have to fight uh, when you're in these uh, programs because, like I was saying, these professors are already taking care of so much on their own because, you know, they're also artists. So they don't have time to just tell you, oh, just relax and make blah, 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 blah. They're just telling you the easiest thing they can think of. Oh, you're Asian? Have you thought about blah, blah, blah? Have you looked at blah, 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 blah? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And and that's a challenge, you know what I mean? It is. There's always that challenge of you know, navigating those, it's kind of where you find your voice. I think those who succeed or who stay in it and keep making find that voice. And I think the people who end up just kind of like fizzling or, or fading away from it are the ones that are just, they're not really able to really find that voice because there's this stigma that's like, Oh, if you find what you like to do and you, you know, that, that, oh, you're just repeating something that you're comfortable with. But uh, there is something to be said about kind of like digging deep into something that feels authentic to you mm-hmm. and really exploring it, you know. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting dynamic, I think, you know, and especially these days because the beauty of what I think is the beauty of the art world is the sort of multicultural global aspect of like all this stuff happening 
yeah. same with music and, and it's so fun to see the combinations and how you know like look at reggaeton i remember when reggaeton was like a thing where people didn't know it unless you were from you know what i mean like yes. a lot of people just didn't know what reggaeton was in popular music and now it's infused into so much stuff in such interesting Everywhere. ways yeah it's it's really cool to you know because i think it, it it makes the well deeper for all the discussions that people have with people and ideally not to sound too <laughs> i don't know it it i think it makes people better and more understanding more empathetic more you know and that's like a, a good byproduct of being creative is that I you agree. can open people's eyes you know and that's going to be the people who won't you know i don't buy it <laughs> my kid could make that those people <laughs> then my kid could make that people we, we need those people we need those people that's sometimes. true that's true sometimes. we need both sides of the coin right right <laughs> so when when you were when you moved to new york where you were all into the art stuff what about music was it a big thing were you exposed to a lot of other stuff um, i mean i imagine the music scene is a little different in new york than it was in south carolina right so also um even coming back to south carolina uh music was also a huge um a huge help for me when it came to uh, learning uh, English, you know, especially Southern hip hop, uh, because the way, you know, these artists were rapping is the way a lot of the people were speaking around the South, especially people in the communities where I was uh, around. So I was fascinated by, you know, the play on word and the fact that English could be so elastic, you know, you could pull it to your side and make it whatever you want and it could still mean one thing or it can even mean so many other things. So I started, you know, playing around with that because again, it was fascinating to me. It was intriguing and it was very challenging to do that with a language that I was also still very new to. So I started playing around with, you know, that in a way of uh, poetry and in a way of trying to uh, mimic these artists. And um, after moving to New York, uh, even in grad school, I was, I took a, a few uh, sound classes and this really opened my mind to, you know, so much more than, you know, sound only being music or sound that should be played should be only music, you know? So in my studio in New York, um, I have a microphone, I have um, an interface that I use to record, uh, whether it be music or sounds. I have some traditional drums in the studio, uh, djembe drums. I have traditional shakers. I have also just um, a few found objects that just make sound. And yeah. sometimes I try to, oh, <laughs> I forgot. I have a violin. I don't know how to play the violin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not an easy instrument to have just lying around right so <laughs> people can pick up a bass and pluck around on it but a violin not so easy you no know, so what i was what i'm what also just interests me and what the sound classes did for me was it just opened my mind on instruments you know because yes music is when you understand an instrument and you understand how to make it sing but when you're making art with this instrument, you don't specifically have to make the conventional sound. So now I was interested in just grabbing, you know, these uh, instruments that I had no idea on how to uh, play and try to make sounds that could mean something or could be related to something else. So I started messing around with the violin and composing, you know, some soundscapes 
mixing that with, you know, um, samples from, you know, my walks or on the water or uh, some chains that I that I had around the studio that were making good sounds and also just mixing that into uh, the interface and uh, my uh, software produced some interesting deep um, sounds that were kind of pleasing for someone that doesn't know how to play uh, the violin, you know? So again, that just opened my mind um, to instrument. And I just started understanding that you don't have to know how to play an instrument to own an instrument. You could just yeah. play with it. <laughs> it's like me and paintbrushes. I don't know how to use it. Just mess around with it in the studio and hope something works out. <laughs> hey, man, that's me every morning. I'm like, okay, what are we doing today? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's really cool. And that, and then I was reading a little bit about, like, you would have these sessions of, like, inviting people oh, over in the morning yes, and, and yes, doing yes. music stuff. That's so, really cool. Yeah, yeah, that was Music uh, Monday. Um, and we were doing that in my Manhattan studio where um, every uh, other Monday I'll invite, you know, some friends that were engineers, um, curators, painters, writers, and we'll just sit in the studio first uh, because I always felt like Monday was the hardest day of the week uh, coming from the weekend. Uh, so we'll sit there and first we'll just share, you know, a drink and conversations. And then those conversations will lead into us making uh you know, playing around with the instruments to try to make a sound. And then from that sound, we'll try to lay vocals on top of that. And we'll sit there and we'll do this for hours. And it was just a very beautiful way to start uh, the week in a creative manner, you know, because none of us were musicians. <laughs> yeah. But you were making music. We were making music. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, and then like when you're after, like, so what is, uh, like, what's your work tapping into now? What are you working on at the moment? Um, well, I mean, so, you're there, you're in Paris, so, right. you know, besides, you know, letting loose on your French, you're able to, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's the, the making art situation there? Um, like? it's, it's interesting right now because I'm playing around with a few things, uh, but I'm trying to focus on the idea that, you know, I'm this individual that has lived in, you know, now three very historically um, distinctive uh, continents, you know, coming from Africa to the Americas, now um, in Europe. And we can look at this in terms of, you know, the Atlantic. And but this is on my own terms in a way, you know. So now I'm somewhat trying to document what, you know, the life of people from the diaspora looks like you know coming from the american culture and what that life was like for me there and for the people in my community now i'm in france now i'm also getting to spend time with people that are that look like myself but also have had the chance or had the need to reinvent themselves just to be able to live in these spaces and also i'm focusing a lot on uh the history that exists within uh, Cameroon and uh, France because they were our colonizers. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's a different um, dynamic, right? It is. It's been it totally is. different than America in a way. Exactly. Because, you know, yeah. when you're in America, you're introduced to the history of, you know, African-Americans. And 
that just became my history because in America, as soon as I got there, I was an African-American. But now I'm here in um, France and I'm somewhat seen as an African-European. And now I'm having to learn also a different part of my history, which is also in a conceptual way, the history of a lot of African-Americans, you know, but it just doesn't cross the, the ocean, you know? Yeah, and right. Exactly. And then, which is also a different history that exists when you're just in Africa, because there I'm looked at just African. So I'm interested in these small uh, dynamics and also just seeing what the, re- the everyday life is like for these people that have been displaced by, um, you know, history, but also people that have been uh, displaced just to look for a better tomorrow like myself. And I'm interested in seeing how they've been able to create a home for themselves here, similar to the way that, you know, a lot of African-Americans have been able to create a home in America, in the United States. So that's a bit of what I'm playing around, uh, excuse me, here with uh, while I'm here. Yeah, it's interesting. I just made me think of the World Cup, you know. And like when you look at the American team, America is just a place where people came from all over and still yes. do. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, there's a a lot of people been there for generations and but I mean it's it's I mean I live in New York City, you live in New York, you know, it's everyone's from everywhere here. No one cares. Exactly. Everyone's just like whatever. You're from, you know. And um <clears throat> but I was looking at there was a a post about the French national team. And oh it God. had the flags. <laughs> Do you, did you see that one where it had the flags of like where the so many from? Oh and my it's goodness! It's like you know, it's all Africa. over. It's yeah. I'm like, damn, France colonized a lot of Africa. You know, you realize. Yes, yes, they yes. Were. And you know what's what's interesting to me, uh, even coming from that, you know, is that whenever these um, Africans that are in these French teams win, they're officially French citizens. You know. And they're put on pedestals and celebrated and whatnot. But then as soon as they lose, they're just Africans again. So yeah. it's it's also that dynamic that I'm also very interested in that, you know, what really makes you, um, for this country, French or European right, coming right. from, you know, your colonizers, uh, uh, your land that was colonized by, you know, this colonizer. And now yeah. you're representing them on the high, on the highest platform. And you only are with them if you win. And right. if you don't win or you don't play or perform to their uh, standards, you're back to being, you know, just, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a, it's funny because that's kind of like a one-to-one colonizer to country relationship, you know? Because, like, if you look at an Americans, when they lose, no one's like, you know, the black guys on the team, they're like, well, they're, they're, they're African-American you know no one cares they're just like right. oh, we just didn't win you know but i think in that it's so sensitive and raw when it's like a colonizing country and that mm-hmm. country mm-hmm. like it's a different vibe i found with like diversity in europe than it is in america and america is you know we've got issues for sure especially when you go out into the deep you know into certain areas right but it's it's like a it's a different dynamic you know and one it hopes is. that and i think that experience that you're talking about you know, that's shifting too because you have, because of our global culture now, people are moving all over from all over. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? And then it gets more and more. And you hope that 
the more that happens that it dilutes the sort of one-to-one energy of like you know oh you're Cameroonian but like you're French but you're not French you know that sort of thing to where people just start to migrate and you don't want to lose culture but you also you want to lose that kind of friction of a one-to-one you know right right but it's here it's it's very present and again it's it's what's fascinating me uh and my time here and just i really want to um understand it and i think for me the best way to understand it is just to try to capture these very small moments that i'm able to witness or even able to live within uh with my time here yeah i mean i i hope we're going in the right direction you know what i mean it's just we will, eventually time you know they take time yeah um do you get to any league on games are you going to see paris saint-germain or anything uh i'm planning i'm planning on it i'm i'm working on my connections here and uh yeah, yeah they're proving to be pretty good so far so oh, i think good. i'll be able to um catch a few matches it's park de prince right isn't that the... <laughs> i Wait, think so, is that the the stadium? I've never, yeah, I've never been to a game in Europe. I've been to, to, I've been to some in uh, London and in Milan, but I haven't been to any here uh, in Paris. League, uh. I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you some uh, videos and pics. Nice, that sounds good. <laughs> um, so, when are you back? Like, how much longer are you there? Through the summer? Um, yeah, through the summer. Um, if I extend for the two extra months, then I'll be back um, around September. Nice. And do you have, like for people who want to check out your work, what's the online version of how they can do that? And what's the IRL version that they could do that? Um, for online, um, my website would be a, a good place. Uh, my Instagram my gallery's uh, websites would be uh, also uh, good spaces. And for in real life, I have, um, I'm doing most of uh, the main fairs um, this year, uh, a few of them. Um, And also I have two um, big uh, solo shows coming up for the end of this year. Um, One here in Paris and another one, in New York. No, not in New York, sorry, in LA. Oh, I miss New York. Right. I think that's why that came out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's you you what are you doing talking to me? You got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> man. Man. Since I so I just came back from uh, Cameroon uh, a week ago and so I spent uh, two weeks in Cameroon and I spent a week in Accra. Uh, Ghana and Ghana, since yeah. I've been back I've just locked myself in the studio because I just know I cannot even budge yeah that's a lot was what you were in Ghana just to visit or um, visiting friends but also uh, a friend of mine uh, artist Amuako was opening his uh, residency program and we were there to celebrate him and uh, his success and also the opening of uh, the residency which was such a beautiful moment. Thanks so much. It was great to meet you. Uh, this was a pleasure, man. It's been so wanna, fun talking with you. Likewise. Do you, when you come back, do you want to stop by the studio? We could do a studio. I visit. would love to. Thanks, man. That was fun. Ah, uh, thank you, man. <laughs>